Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Welcome in, everybody. This is Joel Rand, wants to be the coach. Still, he's coming back. He's coming back from vacation. He'll be here soon. Uh, what a week we've had. We know I haven't been on all week, but what a week we've had in sports. What a week we've had in, in news worldwide, uh, news in this country. While big decisions being made in, in Washington, D.C., uh, compromises from everybody. Uh, from everybody in the United States had to make a compromise after the decisions that were made by uh, the folks in, in Congress. So uh, lots to talk about here on Two Guys and a Mic. The coach, obviously, is not here because normally he'd be doing the intro to the show. Uh, but uh, he, he'll be back soon. He'll be all right. He's actually in a straight jacket as we speak. He has the one week a year has to go straight jacket, try to calm his mind down. I mean, the guy has way too many thoughts going through him at, at one time, so... Uh, he'll be back soon. Not exactly sure when. We'll find out. But uh, uh, the coach and I will be doing shows together again. It's not like it's all over because sometimes I know some people worry. We get a little bit combative at times. There hasn't been a breakup. Coach and I will be reunited. And when we are, it will feel so good. So, well, uh, there's plenty of news to talk about in the world. Um, obviously, the debt ceiling being raised. And now if uh, if you're born into the United States. So if you're born today, basically you owe $46,000 to the United States of America. That's, that's what it's all about. Now I was thinking if no matter what, as soon as you're born in the United States, uh, you owe $46,000 and all of us do, by the way, all it's up to that point. So every new citizen, blah, blah, blah. But maybe we should just forget about these immigration laws and just invite people to become United States of American citizens. I mean, We've been fighting it for so long. If you want to be a citizen, go right ahead. But by the way, here's a here's a little debt for you. You owe us forty six thousand dollars because you know we do it to enough. It gets down to forty two thousand. Next, you know, next you know, you get it down to about twenty thousand. It's not so bad. So, but feel free to become a United States citizen, no matter where you're from. Zaire, Angola, uh, like maybe out in Samoa. Though they're already American, so. But I don't think they owe part of the debt because we just own the land. We just—they're not actually U.S. citizens. So, uh, but honestly, very scared as an American, them raising the debt ceiling, Congress, and now deciding what they're going to do and what they're going to cut. So supposedly they're going to cut spending by like 2.4 trillion a year. That's uh, uh, that—that <laughs> that is the goal for them. But when they start talking about how they're going to do the cuts, they're like, "Oh, we're going to start with 21 billion. Isn't that like? That's like." One percent of what you said you were going to cut. Don't you have to cut a little bit more than that? Uh, a little bit confusing while they're throwing numbers on it. And also considering this, okay, now these guys are going to go on break for like five weeks. So it must be confusing to them. There's no way that these guys could have read every single uh, bit of article. So I would like to see all the minutia that is put in there and, and what, what the real deal is. It's just kind of scary. These guys are all going on their break, their five-week leave and they do the deal right before it. I mean, are they even going to read this stuff? Uh, this is pretty important. But obviously they got to get it passed so uh, they don't default on the loans and end up making the whole world go, go into chaos. Now, I, I don't know if it's good or bad right now for the long-term health of the U.S. economy and the global economy just 
to, to push this deal through. I guess we're going to have to find out all the little things that are that are involved in the deal. But it, we're taking a lot of heat worldwide from different people now. Vladimir Putin, <laughs> the Russian prime minister, now he's off at like a, a summer camp for like uh, for like ten year old children, and he's given this long drawn out speech about uh, calling the United States parasites on the global economy and stuff, and telling the children when when you grow up you can't you know you can't expect to to have too much and you have to do your part in the economy. So it's uh, uh, pretty funny, just like different uh, heads of state around the world and and how they're taking advantage of the United States crisis. But let's face it, a lot of these countries are in crisis themselves. There's uh, economies all over the, the the world right now that are in, you know, very, very dire situations. Uh, but considering how much debt is owed by the, the Russians and and obviously the Chinese own the, the, the most debt, I mean, they're extremely interested on in whether or not they were going to get their bonds paid back. And it's and uh, these two countries, by the way, uh, Russia and China, have been like very, very loud in speaking that the United States dollar should not be the, the reserve currency, basically the, the the currency that backs everybody else worldwide. So it, it was really, it's really important that the United States keep its triple A rating in terms of uh, um, their credit rating. But when when you owe money to China and Russia. It's almost like through so many years, we have come beholden to them in terms of, yes, we borrow money from you and all this other stuff. Well, now we've kind of like backed them up into the wall that, well, you kind of have to do what we want because if if we don't get what we want, we won't be able to pay you back. So all these years, everybody worried that the, the, that the Chinese are going to end up uh, overtaking the U.S. economy. It's got to the point that we owe them so much money that they have to make sure that our economy stays stable or else we'll never be able to pay them back. And uh, the only way that they would have to do after that would be military. Let's not get into all that. So uh, hopefully all this will end up being peaceful. Hopefully eventually one day uh, we can actually uh, live in a, a country where the government actually spends money properly, doesn't have to overtax all of our citizens and basically throw money around. So maybe one day we'll get into all that, but hopefully... Hopefully that day is soon, but I don't see it on the horizon anytime soon, especially when they're talking about having to cut trillions of dollars and they start with, oh, we're going to do $21 billion next year. $21 billion in the U.S. budget, I mean, that's got to be less than like like 0.01% considering how large. I mean, we're talking the U.S. budget uh, is in the trillions. So I just I just shake my head. I don't, I don't know where they come up with numbers like that, uh, but... It seems like we've been dealing with this stuff for years. So, But we are going to talk about more lighthearted stuff today. Definitely plenty of stuff to go around talking about. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a football fan right now in the United States of America, this is really, really some interesting times. Now, uh, we've never seen an offseason like we have here in 2011, and we probably and hopefully never will see another offseason like this. So hopefully uh, when this uh, labor contract is up in 10 years, uh, they can get it you know, extend it or do whatever so we don't have to worry about missing missing football. But this offseason, the amount of movement and the way teams are building their teams has been really interesting. And that's why I kind of want to point this out, that I think the, the teams that are doing the least amount of signing and moving and cutting 
are the teams that are going to be a lot better in this upcoming season. The, the flat-out reason is this. It's great that the teams can, you know, buy a bunch of talent and bring it in like the Eagles. They keep on bringing all these big-name guys in, and that, that's all well and good. But well, what if Nandi Asamoah, like, uh, pulls a hamstring or something? Because, you know, the only, you know, the couple weeks before the season starts, that happened last year to Daryl Rivas. Don't forget, he, he had that slow start, messed up his hamstring, and for the, for the first 10 games of the regular season last year, he was average. You know, and, you know, he held out for the, for the Jets, tried to get a, a lot more money. Well, he got it. And then all of a sudden he wasn't worth the money that, that he held out for because he held out too long and his body wasn't in shape. Well, stuff like this is going to happen to all these teams like the Eagles who just threw a bunch of money at a, at a bunch of players. They think these guys are going to come in, they're going to be a superstar team in football more than any other sport. It's about continuity. It's about uh, chemistry with your team. You can throw a bunch of money at, at a, a couple individual players and it might be able to work, but to truly win in football, you have to have depth, and you have to be good at every single position. So throwing a bunch of money at, at some superstars, do you think they're just going to roll in and all of a sudden you're going you're gonna to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, you might have a dream team, but it's not going to work that way. So uh, this, this offseason has been it's really, really intriguing for me, especially the spotlight that is been put on the Eagles for the amount of money they've spent. And for the, the superstars, the high quality people that they've gotten. But I think when it's all said and done, you're going to look back and you're going to see the teams that tried to keep uh, their team from last year together didn't go out and add too many pieces, you know, just did the polishing. I think those teams are going to look a lot better. Now, the Chicago Bears, they haven't had the publicity that uh, the Jets have had for the, for the moves that they've done or the or for the, the the moves that the Cowboys or the Eagles have done. Everybody has been talking about them. Well, the, the Bears have made a lot of moves, too. And this might go against a little bit of what I was saying, but I, I do think their moves have been more uh, really towards need, like really big towards need. The simple fact is, yes, they have one of the better running backs in the NFL, Matt Forte. Definitely think he's a, a, one of the top, like probably about the, the top 18th back in the league. The guy is great on first and second down, and on third and long, you know, he can pick up a block, he can catch the ball in the backfield, but he is a horrible short yardage runner. The Bears go out and they get a hammer in Marion Barber. He was number 24 in the Cowboys last year. This guy is phenomenal in short yardage situations. That's why so many times last year, when the Cowboys were still in it early in the season and they would throw on third and short, People were just scratching their head. They're like, what is this offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, doing over there? Obviously, he ended up becoming the quarter, I mean, the, the head coach. So, looking back now, maybe he was just trying to get the head coaching job with those decisions. But uh, Marion Barber is a really, really powerful running back. He's going to fit in perfectly with the Bears. So, now the Bears will have a hammer, and then they'll have, like, an all-around back in, in Matt Forte. That's going to be really good for them. Uh, they signed a couple other guys. Uh, they're getting depth. On the defensive line, they signed Amobe Okoye. Folks, if you're, if you're a Bears fan, you're going to love this guy. Uh, he's only 24 years old, yet he's been in the NFL for five years. Because when he was 16, he was starting at Louisville. He's, uh, he's one of these kids that graduated from high school as a 15-year-old. And uh, he happened to play defensive tackle 
when he was in high school, and he got a scholarship to play at Louisville. How many how many football players do you know start Division One as a 16 year old? So this guy's a, he's a little bit of a prodigy. Now uh, he had a couple decent years with the with the Houston Texans, and he's kind of flown under the radar. And I really think he's going to explode in in the Bears system. So as a Chicago Bear fan. You know, we needed a, a three technique, a, a pass rush defensive tackle, a guy that could penetrate and cause problems for uh, for the opponent because Tommy Harris has been cut. And obviously, like last year, he spent the whole entire season looking for his contacts on his hands and knees last year playing football for the Bears. Well, that's not going to happen this year. They've got a big upgrade in this kid. And I really think he's going to blossom. And, and Brian Erlacher is going to be able to fly around because he's going to be in front of him. And then, then a couple of those, a bunch of re-signings with the Bears, which I really, really like. They're trying to keep uh, the team together. Obviously, they lost Olin Krutz, and there's been a lot of uh, uh, bantering about that. Now, the Bears' teammates, his teammates, or ex-teammates now, were complaining that he was cut. And, uh, you know, I think back, you know, in chemistry in the locker room and being together as a team is, is really important. But being able to block somebody is also really important, too. And quite honestly, Olin Krutz was horrible last year. And he hasn't even he hasn't even been average in the last two or three. And, yes, for the first, like, eight to nine years of his career, he was the best center. And nobody during – no center was better during those, like, his first nine years in the NFL. There might have been a guy a year or two that was better, but for that long, he was just so consistent. Leader of the offense. So, by the way, an offense that usually finished about 15 out of 16 teams in in the NFC. Okay, yeah, he was the Bears' best player on offense for a long time, but those days are gone. And it, leader in the locker room, people are complaining. Well, let's have another leader step up. That's that's what that's what the Bears need is somebody else to step up and show some leadership. Uh, Olin Cruz couldn't block anybody anymore, so. We're going to have to have an upgrade at center. It looks like Edward Williams is going to be battling out for it. Hopefully uh, he can secure his position. But a lot of other re-signings. Nick Roach looks like he's going to be the starting strong side backer for the, for the Chicago Bears, which is going to be all right. Um, a couple other signings all the way around. But uh, obviously the biggest one in terms of what everybody else is talking about, like, oh, wow, they, the Bears really got themselves a top-notch wide receiver. I don't know. I I really don't believe it. I've never been a fan of Roy Williams. Uh, Roy Williams kind of, to me, has always been the guy where, oh, yeah, they you blew out the Lions, or like when they were playing for the Lions and they blow somebody out. Yeah, they won 45-10, and Roy Williams had 220 yards receiving. But that's about all they would ever do. Now, as a Bears fan, I know how the Bears fans like, the guy is great. What people have to realize is, Yes, Roy Williams used to toast the Bears, and he would make some of the most amazing catches. But I swear to you, his numbers against the Bears are phenomenal. Against everybody else, they're average. So uh, hopefully, Roy Williams reconnecting with Mark, Mike Mark is like an explosive deal. Because, I mean, let's face it, we got Cutler can get the ball down the field. And uh, Roy Williams, you get him in one-on-one matchup situations. Cutler throws in an area where only Williams can catch it. You know, maybe we can have that that big wide receiver on third down that I've been dreaming of for that, the, that the Bears can have. So hopefully, you know, that'll work out. So And uh, this Alouche kid, Bears have another guy, a wide receiver, the best wide receiver in the Canadian Football League the last couple of years. Guy's like six foot five, 240 pounds. Uh, he's a wide receiver, but he's a little faster and a little bigger than Greg Olson. 
And and so if you're saying, well, Greg Olson was a tight end, why why do we get rid of him? Trade him to the Panthers? Well, let's let's be quite honest. Greg Olson might have had the T E after his name, but he was a wide receiver. He did not block well at all. And it used to just bother me that a tight end that couldn't block well, they'd put him in the backfield to lead block for uh for Matt Forte, which by the way was some of the problem why <laughs> Brandon Molly Maliuna and Greg Olson were a huge reason why the Bears and Matt Forte were horrible in short yardage running situations last year. They really need to get that short up. Hopefully this Matt Space, a tight end that they signed with uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers, can do a pretty good job at that because, uh, to be quite honest, the Bears were so pitiful last year in short yardage situations. That was basically the difference of them beating the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game and going to the Super Bowl and then losing by a touchdown was their short yardage running situation. They were that close. So they've really done a lot to address that this year. Getting rid of Olsen is a good thing. Getting rid of Brandon Malamaliuna and bringing in the space guy. He blocks better than both of them. So now you get – and then you also get the wide receiver that is basically Greg Olsen and says he truly is a wide receiver and you're not going to mess around and try to think that he can block people. So I'd rather just have somebody true to what they are. So if Greg Olsen goes out to the Carolina Panthers and actually becomes a wide receiver, he'd actually be much better off or like a flat back. So pretty decent offseason for the Bears, but – all I know is typically the teams that win the offseason usually don't win the Super Bowl. And it, we have a first hand of that because last year the Bears were the ones who won the offseason. They got the biggest uh, the biggest prize in free agency last year, which was Julius Peppers. And believe it or not, it actually worked out for the Bears. They give this guy the biggest contract, a five-year, $90 million deal. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, he could uh, end up being – a great player and really not live up to the money. And after he came here, I realized something. He lived up to every penny that the Bears paid them last year. Paid him last year. And forget about the statistics. You watch the Chicago Bears play. The other teams were accounting for Julius Peppers on every single play. It really did uh, help the defense in general. So uh, that's going to be a, a key component this year is that Julius Peppers has to keep on producing like he did last year. Keep on. Uh, pressuring quarterbacks and basically getting to them every time he's single team. So that's the whole point of the Bears defense. If Julius Pepper is a single team, he's supposed to make a play. So, and if he's double teamed, well, then somebody else is supposed to make a play because you're not getting blocked at that point. So, uh, that's going to actually be another key. So, well, so last year they, they won the offseason. They got Peppers. They, they, they got Chester Taylor. Ooh, boy. Chester Taylor. So I don't know what they're going to do with Chester. I think they, there's uh, there's been talk. Oh, maybe they can trade him. They can't trade him at all right now. There's there's about seven free agent running backs that are younger than Chester Taylor and a lot better than Chester Taylor. Oh, and by the way, Chester Taylor makes five million a year. The Bears only paid Marion Barber five million over two seasons. So uh, I think Chester Taylor go bye bye, and I think that's going to be pretty soon. I'm surprised he hasn't been cut yet. To be quite honest, so uh, I do expect Chester Taylor to be going. So. Well, now this year, the team that won the offseason is the Eagles. Now, the offseason isn't over, technically, even though teams uh, are, you know, in training camp. Uh, but like we're saying, this is uh, one of the most odd offseasons of all time. Things uh, are happening that uh, most other teams, um, that most other seasons don't have going on. So it's been definitely a strange year. I do, I do see the Bears doing extremely well, considering they haven't really overreacted. 
But uh, the truth of the matter is they have the most money to spend. A little disconcerting. A little disconcerting because there's still uh, about $30 million under the salary cap, and there is still a lot of talent out there to be had. But actually, it's not at positions they need. So uh, there's, there is this one deal in the new collective bargaining agreement, though, that says you have to spend at least 87% of the salary cap. So if uh, in the middle of the season, after I think it's like game number 10 or week 11, what ends up happening is if you haven't spent at least 87% of your cap, you have to spend it and give it to the, the team. The Bears are so far under the cap, there's going to come a point this year where they're going to have to give a bunch of money Two players on their team, just give it to them. They're going to have to pay just right in the middle of the year. So this is, uh, if there's $30 million under the cap, that means that they're going to be have to hand out about $20 million worth of contracts to people, just hand it out. Like, okay, every, you got 50. I don't know if they're going to go like, all right, there's 50 of you. We have to do $20 million. So here's 400000 apiece. So if they're going to go like, oh, by the way, you had a great year. We're going to give you $3 million just because. That's what we're going to do. Something like that might be happening this year with the Bears, believe it or not, because they're so far under the salary cap. Uh, most other teams are like 10 over, 20 over. Like the Cowboys were $18.7 million over, and they, they just pretty much had to redo their whole entire roster and gut their roster. Uh, but uh, the Bears didn't have to do that. They were they were in good shape financially, and I'm really surprised that they are, considering some of the contracts they have, because Erlacher is one of the top-paid Inside linebackers in the game, uh, Lance Briggs is you know makes about eight million a year. Julius Peppers makes eighteen million dollars a year. Uh, Devin Hester's contract when he signed as a wide receiver making way too much money than what his wide receiver production is. So uh, basically, you know we have like a six million dollar uh, a year return guy, which when he's returning like he was last season, is worth every single penny of that. Let's. Not complaining. I'm just talking about how much money they're spending. Most teams aren't spending six million dollars on a return specialist. So it's just I, I just I don't understand how the Bears can be this far under the cap, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm dumbfounded by it. So hopefully there's a plan. They get they got their quarterback set. They got a nice one-two combo at running back. Without question, they have. Uh, I do I know they have an upgrade at wide receiver with Roy Williams being here. Uh, I, I do think he has something to prove, and the fact that he will be the number one. Maybe he's that guy that, oh, i got to be the number one. Because uh, he wasn't in, in Dallas, and he kind of he shied away. He kind of, like, went into a shell, I thought, at times. So uh, we'll see if he busts out of it. Now, uh, Matt Space, that tight end, big upgrade. Now, the offensive line, well, we're going to find out. We're going to get somebody that will be able to block people better than Owen Cruz. But we're going to find out if this guy can tell everybody else who to block as well, whoever starts at, at center. Then that will be determined whether or not the Bears have an upgrade uh, uh, on the offensive line. Now, defensively. Lots of question marks. That's not going to be so easy. Uh, Nick Roach is going to be starting a strong side back. I think the, the linebacking crew should be good. Uh, obviously, you got Erlacher and Lance Briggs, so it should be pretty good. But uh, the biggest uh, thing is going to be how the how the corners react and how the, the defensive tackles are going to be because there's a lot of change for the Chicago Bears there. So lots of change all over the NFL. Uh, it's going to be a great season. I cannot wait. September 11th is the first uh, Sunday of the of the season, and I'm looking really forward to it. Uh, and it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. I'm actually going to be in New York right before 9/11 this year. Uh, I haven't been to New York since uh, '05, and uh, like doing the whole stump the Schwab stuff. But 
going to uh, going to New York for my girlfriend, and I'm a little bit concerned. Okay, so I'm I'm, I'm flying out there. It's right before the whole September 11th thing, going to New York, and all these talks about about uh, TSA and the different probings that she gets. I don't like people touching me, so I, I'm not sure like what I'm going to do when I actually go through. I haven't flown since this whole TSC, TSA takeover of uh, watching people or you know checking people as they get onto onto uh, flights. I'm a little bit tentative about it. I don't know if I should wear like can't touch this MC Hammer T-shirt when I'm going through it, but I just I just don't want people groping up on me, and I know I'm going to get picked. I've told my girlfriend this without question. Every time I have flown, I end up getting. I'm the one that they pull out. They check all the stuff on me. So some told me, like, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm going to get probed that day. So I know we were talking football. I'm going to transition over to uh, to baseball here in a second. Just wanted to throw in, like, the opening weekend of, of football this year. I'm going to be out in New York. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to it. Uh, being out in New York on the 10-year anniversary of, of, of September 11th, I don't know, that's going to be a, a pretty emotional time. Also, uh, they're unveiling uh, the the actual grounds for uh, at like, Ground Zero where the September 11th attacks have happened. Now, there's a lot of debate going on because they were going to unveil what somebody said was a cross. Well, I guess in the in the the wreckage of of uh, September 11th, there was two metal beams, and it appeared to somebody else that it was a cross. So now it's like a, a a religious symbol to some people who are Christian. And they were going to actually have it at the grounds of uh, at September 11th, and people are suing over it. They all, you know, we can't have this. It's actually uh, uh, an atheist group here in the United States. They're suing over it. There's a Jewish group suing over it. Uh, there's a Muslim group suing over it. I mean, it, it's it's really, you know, after a while, I'm really not all that concerned about it, to be honest with you. As somebody who's like agnostic, you know, I, I believe there's a God. I truly do. Uh, but I'm not really sure which religion you're supposed to believe in, so leaving that up to find out later. Try to be a good person in the meantime. But I mean, uh, this is this is big time, and like uh, the people that are suing over this. I mean, they're like, I'm extremely insulted by this. I can't believe they're doing this. And there's other people who are suing who are Christian, saying that this isn't right. And one of them, uh, one of the guys who are suing that, uh, his basically the, his brother died in the in the in the tragedy. And he's Christian, but uh, what he's suing about is the fact that he is not the right Orthodox, blah, 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 and that isn't the right cross to be putting up. So you also have people that are Christian that are suing over this. So uh, a big, huge legal battle. And, you know, you talk about coming down right to the wire. They go, this is, this is going to happen in a month. They already have this, they already have this cross up, but they're going to have to take it down and, and redo a whole new uh, section of, uh, of the memorial. So, uh, big time legal battles going on because there, there was a whole thing whether they should have a mosque on the actual grounds or having one even a new one built in the area was right. So uh, there's been a lot of religious debate over this, and uh, you know, in some ways it has showed how close-minded we are. You know, the whole thing after September 11th was I thought us as Americans, hey, you know, we, if you're an American, let, let's let's live by American ideals. You should be able to believe whatever you want to believe. You know, don't force anything on uh, other people. You have the, the right and the freedom to do what you, you choose to do. You have free will here, yet, you know, all of a sudden it's the 10-year anniversary. And it's like a bunch of, like, bigotry and 
uh, and hate have been coming out over this particular uh, uh, object. So uh, hopefully we can learn our lesson and, and get this stuff straightened out. But so I'm going to be flying out there like the, the week before the 10 year anniversary. And every single time I have ever flown without question since, since after September 11th, every time they pull me out of line and they do the whole search on me. I mean, legitimately where I should be getting, someone should buy me a dinner after this. I mean, it's ridiculous. And it, it, it's every, it happens every time. Girlfriends I've flown with before, I would tell them, like, oh, yeah, whatever. Then afterwards, they're like, yeah, they take you out. Like, the guy right in front of me is, like, is chanting some type of uh, <laughs> of mantra. And I'm the one that they pull out of here. I, I have no idea how it happens, but I'm the one. So I guess they're like, we got a white male, so, okay, that we, we have a balance now. So I, I don't know, maybe it is that, because I'm just so flat-out white and male that, I mean, they maybe get to check each one of them twice when when I'm going through, so. That's something I'm going to have to deal with. Now, these stories of what's going on with the, with TSA, you know, have been gruesome. We all know the stories, you know, uh, little kids getting touched, screaming, don't touch me, all this other stuff. Well, now in Boston, they've even escalated even more. The Boston TSA is trying out new Israeli-type searches where basically they ask you a couple questions, and if you don't answer them properly, they can pull you out at will. They can pretty much choose whoever they want, so that it's even going to be more of an aggravation. Now, some people say, hey, I'm not going to be picked. So that's good. But somehow I always seem to get picked for no reason. So there have been way too many parts of abuses of this whole TSA, and it's such a fine line because you don't want a plane to get blown up. You don't want people to get stuff on the plane. And nowadays you can pretty much something really tiny can cause a tremendous explosion. And it doesn't even have to be made of metal. It can be made of plastic, it can be made of rubber, it can be made of fiberglass, it can be made of all kinds of things. So uh, I, I do understand the, the the fear that people have, but there's got to be a better way. And you know the whole, you know, you walk through and they they shoot that picture of your body, I don't mind that whatsoever. I could care less. People are like, well, they actually can get a look at, at uh, my whole body. Well, you know what? Then, then don't fly. But the whole padding down is really bad. Okay, so there's got to be other ways that they could do this. Hopefully, I go. I don't know, should I go there stinking? I'm not really sure what I should do, but I was trying to, is there a way to go there where they're like, hey, let's just let this guy go through. Now, so, see, correct know, me if I'm wrong, but under the new security procedures, they won't search you unless you refuse to do the full body scan. Oh, I got you. There you go. That's why I asked. I haven't flown. I, I'm pretty sure that's the way it's set up. Because last time I flew, I had to do the I did the scan. I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, well, somebody has a picture of your stuff, your junk, basically. Is what that's what. Yeah, yeah hey, hey I, I like my body. Enjoy the show. So yeah, exactly. That's how I feel. I could care less. That's that's. I but I don't, and I actually don't mind getting patted down. But like the idea, like I don't know when I was like 10 years old, boy, I would not have liked that at all. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, I understand now. Okay, hopefully this guy isn't enjoying his job. You know, that's that's what I'm thinking. Like, hopefully this guy actually doesn't like doing what he's doing, because if he does now, I'm uncomfortable with it. So so can we ask that question, David? Like, hey, are, do you like your job? Yes, I like it a lot. Okay, then I'm going to go through the scan, if you don't mind. I'll take the chance of cancer. I'm just throwing it out there, going out there. So I haven't flown. I'm actually looking forward to it. haven't been on a vacation in a while, going out to New York and going to a baseball game, Seeing the Statue of Liberty of the New York Cups, I've never, I never have done the, the traditional things that Empire State Building haven't done that. Uh, 
the Museum of Contemporary Art or whatever the heck they call it. Haven't done that. So I'll get to do a lot of that stuff. Now, other stuff like drink until 5 o'clock in the morning in Greenwich Village, I've done that. Um, walk the streets of Harlem with 40 ounce, I've actually done that. Uh, wake up in Flatbush with cars turned over around you because you passed out on the on the subway. I've done that. Okay, I've went to Carnegie Deli and ordered a twenty one dollar sandwich and finished it and legitimately couldn't move for about an hour and a half afterwards. I've done that, but I haven't done the regular tourist things. I guess the I guess the eating at Carnegie Deli and not being able to move after is a typical touristy thing. So, but I'm really really looking forward to it. It's one of my favorite cities. So, I guess I'll have to deal with the flying and. Uh, but, you know, being in New York right before the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks is uh, actually going to be pretty powerful because I remember when I went to Ground uh, Zero back in 2005. Yeah, and, folks, this is legitimately when I was out there. It was just over four years after the attacks, and they were still cleaning debris out. That's four years later. And I do realize that's in downtown Manhattan and getting trucks in and out you know, it's not as easy as like if you're like you know in the middle of Wyoming or something like that because you know the streets and stuff are obviously built up a little bit differently. But four years later, and uh, from what I understand, it was a 24-hour a day job, and it still took them four years to get the. And they weren't even done, so I don't know how long it took them to actually get all the debris out. But I was, uh, you know, you, you see it and you see two buildings and you're like, oh, it's probably a big area. And then when I saw the actual the scale, the scale, the scope of uh, how big it actually was. I was, my, I was, it blew my mind how big the area was. And it, they still had buildings that they were taking down at the time because they wanted to clear all the, the debris out. And they, were, they, they were actually taking buildings down, like, piece by piece at the time because it wasn't just the World Trade Center, the two, one and two that went down. It was, like, a couple other ones that, uh, that actually went down in the area. And some just had their... Uh, their base destroyed. So they were actually taking it from top to the bottom, taking these actual building down. It was, it was mind-boggling to actually see at the time. So pretty excited to go out to New York. Now, there, there's a lot of crazy stories going around the world, folks. And, and when I do this show, you know, I usually talk a lot of football, a lot of baseball, and uh, we will be talking uh, baseball at the end because uh, there's, a, there's a new hero on the landscape of American baseball. Uh, uh, folks, he plays for the Florida Marlins. I want to get into him later, but uh, this is one guy you want to get on board right now. He's going to end up being the MVP of the National League within the next couple of years. Uh, but going around and seeing crazy stories that, were, that have been happening. Now, in, in the Chicago area suburb, Riverside, there has been over 100 air conditioners stolen, also in Brookfield and, and in a couple other areas. But there's a air conditioner uh, theft racket going on here in the in the, in the Chicago area. Where these guys are pulling up like in a, the square box trucks, pulling up to, right onto the uh, the person's home, just like they belong there. They walk right up, real professionally, take the air conditioning out, unit out, put it on the truck, and they take off and they go to another home and they do this. They've been doing it for the last couple of weeks in the summer, and, and you know, and there've been witnesses. They're like, "Oh yeah, I saw the guy. They came. They had the truck. And they have. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny that somebody can pull something like this off, like right in the." Uh, blind, you know, right in broad daylight, you know, you see somebody is doing something, they look confident doing it, you're like, oh, you just assume they must be doing it. You know, who would steal an air conditioner? Well, yeah, well, they're stolen over 100 of them this year. So if you, if you see somebody uh, 
removing an air conditioner of, of one of your neighbors. I don't know, get a look at the truck, maybe get a license plate or something like that. Cause I know it just doesn't make any sense, but believe it or not, they're getting away with stealing air conditioners here uh, in, in Chicagoland. It's pretty funny. Now, uh, and something that, that isn't so funny, there's a guy by the name of Turnbaugh Randolph. Yeah, that's his name, Turnbaugh is his name, Randolph of Vermont. Well, this guy was acquitted of murder charges back in 2004. Supposedly, there was a guy by the name of uh, uh, D-Clan Evans. Okay, that's, uh, uh, no, excuse me, D-Clan Lyons. Okay, well, they're out in Vermont, and he's on, he's on murder trial for, for killing this guy, and he gets away with it. Okay, he's acquitted. Well, yesterday, he calls up the police, Turnbaugh, Randolph, that is, to confess, hey, that, that murder that I got away with uh, in 2002 in the trial in 2004, yeah, well, I actually did it. Well, so the police come out there to talk to him, and he's like, yeah, I got away with it, blah, 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 and he ends up punching one of the cops, and now they brought him into jail. I mean, now, the, the state authorities of Vermont don't know what to do because this guy has already been acquitted of murder. And technically, technically, if you get acquitted of murder, you can walk out on the steps of the, uh, of, uh, the courtroom and just be like, yeah, I did it. And there's nothing you can do about it because it's a double jeopardy. So the state of Vermont isn't sure what they're going to do. One thing, though, that I think does happen is uh, he's probably going to get the maximum sentencing for punching a cop. I figure they got to... <laughs> They figure they might he might owe them a few years, so uh, it's a, actually a pretty disgusting story. I guess this guy um, uh, D Clan Lyons was uh, just cleaning something outside of the restaurant that he worked at, and he came up to him and shot him with a, a thirty thirty shotgun, whatever a thirty thirty shotgun is. So, uh, yeah, pretty disgusting story, but totally odd. The guy confesses seven years later, and is like joking about it, and ends up what, getting in a fight with a police officer. This is, this is that person that belongs in prison. Uh, whatever. And uh, talk about somebody that might have to serve time in jail for just something uh, asinine. Uh, every once in a while I hear a story, you know, and you're like, oh, that's a stupid law, whatever. You know, what a technicality. Should, shouldn't uh, the government or shouldn't the local authorities do something to correct that? Well, this one this is a little bit different because this one is about somebody who decides to get the law involved to get somebody else in trouble, which was absolutely ridiculous. I hate busybodies. Like, you know, the person that would tell on you in school because you were the one that, that made the funny comment and the teacher's like, who said that? And then, like, the one kid points you out. And you're like, oh, come on. And then you get in trouble. Or, like, the, you know, somebody who goes out of the way to get you in trouble over something that really wasn't wrong just so they can prove that they have power over you. Well, this story is, is really, really sick. There's a girl by the name of Skylar Capo. Uh, she's a 10-year-old girl, and in her, she was at her dad's house, and there was a wounded woodpecker in the backyard, and she saw it, and the family cat was going to go uh, attack it. So she ran out there and grabbed the woodpecker, okay, so the, the cat wouldn't eat it. The mom comes to pick her up, so the mom's like, oh, let's take the, let's take, and the, Skylar wanted to do it, like, hey, let's take the woodpecker home. Uh, get it fixed up, and then we'll let it go. Well, on the way home, they, the mom stops at a Lowe's to, uh, you know, get a get a birdcage, get something to, to keep the bird in. Well, there was, a, like, an older woman there, and she saw that there was a woodpecker, okay? So she follows this family home, 
Okay. This uh, now right when they got home, the woodpecker uh, actually started feeling a lot better. They didn't even keep it; it just ended up flying away, and it was healthy. Like, oh, okay. Well, two weeks later, the same woman who had followed them home the day that they had the woodpecker brought a local county sheriff with them and had the woman arrested for transportation of an uh, of a protected species in that area. Now, so she, the woman had to pay a $535 fine and now has to go to court and faces up to a year in prison because of transportation of a protected species. They had no idea that the woodpecker was a protected species, and all they were doing was try to protect it from the cat that was originally going to eat it in the first place. So that's just a, another example of people need to mind their own business, okay? Why are you following somebody home? I mean, seriously, you're following them home so you could bring the police to their house? I mean, and what, just let you know, when they, when, it, when they got there, the woman saw them at the Lowe's and was like, well, you know, what are you doing with the, with the woodpecker? And they were like, oh, we're just going to take care of it for a couple of days because, and they told us, the woman knew the whole story. She knew that they had grabbed it and were going to let it go. But she still brought, she brought the police to their house two weeks later. Why does it take two weeks? And by the way, the local sheriff's department and the wildlife organization, because they have, will not return phone calls uh, to any of the people that are trying to investigate this, because uh, maybe they've realized how embarrassing and stupid they look, but uh, we're going to have to see. So uh, definitely strange stories going on all around the planet. And uh, uh, that one right there, uh, you know, people sometimes need to just mind their own business, you know, so... Uh, and, and, you know, the thing was, they only got in trouble. They only, nobody would have known what they were doing, but it was a hot day. And like we know, there's record heat all over the United States. As a matter of fact, all 50 states had the hottest July in the history of recorded temperatures. Every single state in the United States had the hottest July that, that recorded on average. According, uh, according to weather.com, unreal. So it's been really hot. They were doing the right thing. They could have left the bird in the hot car while they went in and got this, like, uh, the temporary cage. But they're like, no, we don't want to leave it in the car because it's so hot. Let's bring it in. So they were doing whatever it took for this, <laughs> uh, to protect the bird. And somebody is, I mean, how much time does somebody have? They know that, the, that these are good people that are trying to, trying to take care of this woodpecker. But I'm going to follow these people home. Then I'm going to go get the police later and go back with the police. I mean, how much time do you have on your hands? I mean, that's really somebody, the true, true point of somebody who really, really needs to get a life. And it's too bad that the, the article that I read did not give that woman's name because I, I would have loved to, I, lo- I would have loved to have been able to embarrass her because actions like that are not what we're about here. So, sorry I throw it out there. By the way, this is Joel Erdwanski. You're listening to Two Guys in a Mic, the coach, John Cohn. Hopefully he'll be back soon. I know I really need him because, quite honestly, uh, you know what? If I don't get enough talking to the coach, sometimes you know I get a little ornery. You know, he he gets it out of me. Do you know what I mean? Because I get an hour of having to listen to him and and all of his thoughts. So uh, you know, we usually disagree on everything. So you know, it's, it's my chance to get a little bit of angst out on him. So I haven't had that recently. So I, I think I've, I've been taking it out on like my girlfriend and. And who, and who knows who else. So uh, hopefully Coach will get back here soon. So instead of just having one guy on a phone, we'd have two guys in a mic again. So hopefully that's going to be soon now. Um, 
463-6748 is the phone number. If you want to give me a call, because we're talking baseball now. And, uh, you know, there's been a bunch of trade deadline moves and stuff while, while we were gone. We missed the last couple of days. Not, I don't think any, like, titanic moves. Uh, but there are a couple of really smart pieces. I would have to say, you know, that everybody is saying, oh, this team's the winner, this team's the winner. The winner of the trade deadline is the Texas Rangers, folks. Flat out, period. That's who won the trade deadline. Uh, the, the Rangers have top flight A, top flight, top of the line starting pitching. Everybody knows their offense. They've got really good defense. Uh, well, they had a decent bullpen and they really just needed to add bullpen help. So they go out there and they go get Koji Yamura of the of the Orioles, who is a guy that throws in the mid-80s, but he's got pinpoint location, and nobody can hit this guy. He's been awesome. Okay, and then they got another guy, Mike Adams, who is the best middle reliever in the game of baseball. That's exactly what I said. I'm not, I'm not outstating it. The last three seasons, and the last three seasons, he's got 49 appearances this year. He had 65 last year. He had 70 the year before. His ERA is 1.31. It's the lowest in baseball. Mike Adams of the San Diego Padres, which was just traded to the Texas Rangers. The Rangers have made out like bandits. Uh, you get those two guys in the middle of your bullpen, plus Neftali Perez. That is a top flight bullpen all of a sudden. They go from good to great with those two additions. So uh, uh, the Texas Rangers, who all year long I didn't believe in, well, those two moves right there, I believe in the Texas Rangers. They are going to be an awful tough out uh, in the playoffs this year. So uh, they've really, really bolstered themselves. That's one heck of a move. Now, uh, disappointedly, the Cubs did not get rid of a few players that I wanted them to get rid of. Uh, got rid of uh, Kosuke Fukudome, uh, who's actually played pretty well with the Indians uh, the last uh, the last couple of games that, uh, that has he's, since he's debuted over there. Matter of fact, the Indians. Beat the Red Sox eight to five yesterday in one heck of a ball game on Monday Night Baseball on on ESPN. Uh, but the, the Cubs not unable to unload Aramis uh, Ramirez. I don't know why. I'm sure teams inquired. Uh, he led uh, July Major League Baseball in in uh, home runs, and since uh, June 15th, he leads all of baseball in home runs and RBIs. So the guy is just flat out hot. He's been crushing the ball. I was hoping maybe Cubs can get a really top slot. Uh, top-notch prospect for him. They did not, uh, and there's really not been talk about whether he he wouldn't uh, agree to the, the the waive his no trade clause. So we really don't know why. But Aramis Ramirez is, is a Chicago Cub, and he will be for the rest of the year because he will not pass waivers, folks. Now, if somebody wants Carlos Pena or Alfonso Soriano, he's going to pass waivers. Those guys will because nobody wants to pick up those contracts. Heck, uh, Carlos Zambrano will probably be able to go through waivers and a team can pick them up, but uh, it doesn't look like the, the Cubs are able to like clean house whatsoever, which I was really hoping they would. They never, they didn't really pick up, they didn't really pick up anything in the Kosuke Fukudome trade. So I was hoping maybe they get rid of uh, John Grabo, and uh, but no, they didn't. So uh, a little disappointing there. And, and the White Sox, yeah, really no moves. So I guess the White Sox are happy with status quo right now. And uh, you know, there, there comes a point. It's two thirds of the way through the season. All year long, Coach, we, you know, the once-a-week question, are the White Sox going to turn around? Are they going to turn around? Well, uh, I think the answer is they can't get above 500. So maybe the answer is no. They lost to the Texas – I mean, they lost to the New York Yankees last night. CC Sabathia, eight strong innings, Mariano Rivera in the ninth coming in to, to, to close it out. Uh, Jake Peavy starting for the White Sox. Uh, Jake Peavy is tough. 
Oh my goodness, that guy is really, really tough. If I mean, if Jake Peavy doesn't have anything left in his arm, I don't know if he can get it back. Let's face it, he's only 27 or 28. He might end up being a great pitcher again. And I truly believe that uh, we'll find out if he's got it back because he's got the heart and the desire uh, in, in order to, to pitch. But if Gavin Floyd had uh, Jake Peavy's bold doggedness, oh, my goodness, he's been 20 games a season. I mean, it, seriously, Jake Peavy, watching him pitch last night, just just reminded me, I know he's got nothing left, but sometimes, even in professional sports, if you have nothing, if you have that much gumption and intelligence and, 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 and grit, you can get people out. And I know he got the loss last night, but it, it's just amazing watching him battle against one of the best lineups in baseball. I was I was just blown away. If he could ever get his stuff back, like, if he, well, he's never going to get his 07 stuff back when he won the National League Triple Crown as a pitcher, ERA wins and, and strikeouts. But if he can just get a strong enough arm back, and he might be able to have that by next year. It might take him a while. These injuries are newly diagnosed in for pitchers. So hopefully with this whole latissimus dorsi thing that he's been going through, it's healed by next year because I do think the White Sox could have themselves a number one pitcher on their hands if they could just deal with the fact he's got to get healthy, healthy first. So uh, White Sox, no major moves at the trade deadline. So, uh, Maybe they are happy with status quo. We'll see. We'll see. Now, to the player that I was talking about earlier, the next new superstar in the game of baseball, a kid by the name of Mike Stanton. Now, now last year, folks, was uh, the year of the rookie. We all know we can name rookie after rookie. Talk about Jason Hayward, you know, who was a rookie last year. I mean, he's absolutely phenomenal. Steven Strasburg, you know, he, that guy, you know, he got hurt, got the, got the Tommy John surgery. He might pitch in late September. There's there's talk of that. So hopefully the Nationals do get him in uh, at least one or two starts so we can see if he's okay or not. Uh, but this kid, Mike Stanton, up in Florida. Now, he was kind of you – know, he had a great season last year, but obviously Hayward and, and Strasburg were like off the charts. And this guy kind of laid in the weeds. You know, he hit about 260 last year with, with like 25 home runs in half a season. Okay, well, well this year, you know, he starts out kind of slow. You know, he's still hitting bombs, and when he hits home runs, he, he hits them 500 feet, okay? He hits absolute bombs. You know, but he's hitting like 240, and he only had like 11, 12 home runs at the at the All-Star break. He's got like 11 or 12 steals. Well, it turns out he wasn't seeing the ball properly. It was He had an eye infection, and he didn't realize it was slowly deteriorating, so it wasn't like something that happened overnight and you noticed it. It was a slow uh, degrading of his eyesight. And eventually, you know, he... It's like, you know, I can't really see that way. They had to check up. Well, his eyes are clear now. And uh, the best way I can tell you is uh, he just tied a Ramos Ramirez for most home runs since since uh, July 1st yesterday. He hit a grand slam, an absolute laser beam that went out in City Field in New York. And uh, that that gave uh, the Florida Marlins a 7-3 win over the Mets. But the, the most impressive thing about it was, okay, so he hits the, hit the grand slam and extra innings to win the game. He's the hero. Well, he never would have had a chance to bat if he didn't get out Jose Reyes at home the inning before. In the in the bottom of the ninth, there's a single to uh, to right field. Jose Reyes, folks, one of the fastest players in all of baseball, one of the best base runners in all of baseball, a guy playing with instincts, with hustle, with speed. He's on second. <laughs> now he's the winning run. Ball hit out to Mike Stanton. 
catches it on one half, squares the shoulders up, fires it home on a fly. You got to see this throw, folks. It's like something out of Roberto Clemente. He gets Jose Reyes out at home where he doesn't even slide. He just stops and gets, lets himself get tacked out. It was one of the most amazing throws. It's the best throw of the whole entire baseball season. So uh, what a game yesterday for uh, Mike Stanton, and folks. He's going to be uh, and like an NL MVP type player. That's no joke. He can hit. He can hit 50 home runs and steal 30 bases. And after seeing him throw the ball yesterday, I guess he, he might be able to win a Gold Glove. And and right now, he should be playing his junior year at USC, folks. He's six foot four, 245 pounds. And, I mean, he's just, he, when you see him, it's just like, oh, my goodness, this guy's a freaking specimen. He's an Adonis. Well, Pete Carroll recruited him to play football at, at USC as a corner. That's how good of an athlete he is. When you see this guy run, it's mind-boggling. I've never seen a baseball player his size run like that. He makes Dave Winfield look slow. Dave Winfield was a massive guy that can flat-out slide. Mike Stanton's faster than him. He's not as lanky as Winfield, but he's, he's much more bulkier, so... Uh, just throwing it out there, Mike Stanton of the Florida Marlins is the next great superstar in the game of baseball. And, and I guess the best thing with him is he started out so slow this year, people started questioning him, you know, and he didn't question himself. And I mean, that's going to happen when you're a young player. It's, you know, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be gravy. But uh, he's the next guy. He's, he can hit some bombs. He absolutely launches them. So uh, pretty good in the and a more of a local story in terms of baseball here, uh, the Chicago Cubs go out to Pittsburgh yesterday. Uh, they win 4-3. But an awfully, awfully uh, strange day. Derek Lee gets traded to the Pirates from the Orioles. Okay, uh, The Pirates needed to bolster their first base situation because Lyle Overbay has been pretty much abysmal all season long. So Derek Lee's starting at first base. He's playing against his old teammates, obviously. You know, he's probably known as much as a Cub as for anything, even though he was an 3 World Series champ with the Marlins. Uh, he's, I guess he's known as an ex-Cub. Uh, first at-bat, hits a home run off of Carlos Zambrano. <laughs> so, and then hits another home run. So he became the first Pirate since Sean Dunstan to hit two home runs in their debut as a Pittsburgh Pirate. I didn't even know Sean Dunstan played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that was back in 1997. He must have been there for like five days. So I'm going to have to look that up on, on BaseballReference.com because I was absolutely blown away by that stat. Uh, but Zambrano gives up a home run to Derek Lee in their first appearance uh, against each other since uh, the blowout, the blowup in the in the dugout. I don't know why anybody else isn't talking about this. That was a pretty big moment. I was like, the last time these guys were together, you know what I mean? Uh, obviously, this is the first time they had faced each other since. The, I know, obviously they were teammates, and supposedly it was all good. But let's face it, Derek Lee got traded, okay, <laughs> after that happened. Not right after it happened, but he did. So um, it was actually a really, really big moment. Now another take, and I'm going to say this. So I picked out the, the Zambrano-Derek Lee one. I'm surprised that hasn't been talked about. But wasn't that Harold Reynolds sparked as we end our, our show here? This was really great. Now this weekend, the game of the year happened in baseball. Uh, are we going now, Dave? Do I got a second? Yeah, you got so, uh, the minutes. game of the year happened in baseball, where the the Angels and the the Tigers played. The Tigers beat the beat the um, the Angels, but uh, Jared Weaver ended up getting all upset because Maglio Ordonez looked at a home run for like a split second. Okay, and then a bunch of other stuff happened later in the game. Well, it turns out that in 2000, Maglio Ordonez, Ordonez as a Chicago White Sox tried to kick Jeff Weaver in the face with his cleats during the brawl that the 
Tigers and the White Sox had that sprung the White Sox onto the American League Central title that year in April. So it just so happens that that's why Jared Weaver had the problem because Jeff Weaver got attacked by Magdalena Ordonez 11 years earlier. Trust me, folks, I've got a brother. We look out for each other. I guarantee you that's what it was all about. So, Harold Reynolds, I want to give you a tip of the hat for remembering that from 11 years ago. That was awfully, awfully cool. So, uh, David Olson, I appreciate your hard work over there on the, on the other end of the glass. And, uh, you know, Coach always talks about what a pain you are on the other side of the glass, but I don't think so, Coach. I mean, I, you, Coach, you're wrong about this one. David Olson, fantastic job. Coach, John Cohen will be back soon. This is Joel Rodwanski, the big dog. Uh, you can contact us at uh, two guys at AOL. Two guys, Mike at AOL.com. This is Joel Rodwanski. We will see you soon, everybody. Have a great day.